Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jamie here. I'm so glad you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. So my prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy today's message. Father in heaven, Abba, Lord Almighty. We, we come before you at this time now, and uh, we humbly seek your face, and we're asking, Holy Spirit, fall. Fall on us here. Bring to effect your ministry of teaching us that as we hear the word of God and, and the reflection of it, that you indeed will bring those things to bear powerfully in our hearts and our souls, and they would shake as well as build a more solid foundation. We, we thank you for this, and we're just asking you uh, that you will anoint your word, Father, and you will manifest it powerfully to each person here for your glory. In Jesus' name we declare it. Amen. Amen. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Last week, Pastor Jamie did a great job of uh, building a case for both the greatness of God's mercy as well as our desperate need for God's mercy. Uh, if you weren't here, please go back. Do yourself a favor. Go back and catch that sermon. You know, look online and uh, yeah, catch it and listen to it, please. Pastor Jamie preaches from his spiritual gift as a prophet of God. Uh, his messages help us see more of the great things God's placed in each of us as well as to take hold, stimulate the desire in us to step into more of God's call in our lives, as well as more of the great destiny that he has for each of us. Uh, now, my spiritual gift is teaching, so my style is always to go through a passage of Scripture and hopefully unpack the truth, um, and, and hopefully that through it you will experience both the truth of the Word as well as the power of the word, and that your lives will be changed because of it. Last week, Pastor Jamie helped us see God's mercy in new and marvelous ways. It was just wonderful. Today, my goal is to help us understand God's mercy, but not only with our minds, but through the text to feel, to feel the power of it as well as to wrap our hearts around it. Our, our main text is going to be uh, Luke chapter 15. Uh, but by way of introduction, I want to start out by uh, going to James chapter 2. It's found after the book of Hebrews, if you, in the New Testament. James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because... Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now understand, you know, in God's hierarchy of, of values, mercy is above judgment. No, mercy is above judgment. Um, but you have to be real careful at that point because it's not saying that mercy does away with judgment. You, know, you have to choose to come under mercy. Mercy trumps judgment. 
Because mercy is part of this higher law, the law that gives freedom. I mean, it's a really big deal. There's a whole lot more to it. I want to show a little of it to you. If you go over to Romans chapter 8, the law that gives freedom. What exactly does it look like? What's its shape? Chapter 8, Romans 8, verse 1 starts out this way. And therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The word condemnation, the Greek word is katakrino. Katakrino means, you know, judgment with focus on punishment. Judgment with punishment in view. There is no judgment with punishment in view for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whoo, that's so key. Because, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law, that, the law of spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of spirit of life, that's the law that gives freedom. That's the law of James. That, he was talking. It's the higher law. You know, it sets me free from the law of sin and death. That's the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law could not save you because by your sin nature, you violate it. You break it. And, and so it can only judge you. There has to be a higher law if we're going to, you know, have something done. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do, and it was weakened by our sin nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the sinful man. That statement is so loaded with essential truth. It's easy to read it and miss it. But you could take a pen if you want to and just take that word sin and you could blot it out. Because through Christ Jesus, all of your sins have been forgiven. All of my sins have been forgiven. The sins of the whole world have been handled. Past, present, future, all been handled, wiped out. You're white as snow. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And since we have been raised with Christ, set your affections on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. Set your affections on heavenly things, not on earthly things. You are raised with Christ. You are seated with Christ right now. And God looks over at you, and you are white as snow. I hope you're getting this. You're white as snow. And the father looks over at you and he smiles. <laughs> oh, wow. Verse 4. Okay, here's the purpose in all of it. Verse 4, Romans 8, 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who live not according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. We live in a whole new way. We live now by the resurrection power of the Lord. We live now by the Holy Spirit who has been placed in us and who manifests the character of Jesus through us. That's the higher law. That's the law we now submit to. Now, again, if we go back to James chapter 2, verse 13, don't get it confused because... While mercy sets at a higher level than judgment, mercy does not do away with judgment. You got to choose. You're going to have to choose. I always I like to tell Riddle I I've, 
I think I told my congregation when I was pastor at church that, that I, I, would, I would at least tell this once a year, and, uh, and uh, I don't know if I've used it here before, but it's an important riddle. It goes like this. Five frogs are sitting on a log. One decides to jump. How many are left? Well, you would say three are left. No. Four are, or did I say five? Four or five are left because deciding to jump is not the same thing as jumping. That really is key. But because, because in the, what we're going to look at today, mercy is going to be offered to you, but you've got to receive it. You've got to embrace it. You've got to say, Lord, I want my heart penetrated and permeated with your mercy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's go to the chapter, Luke chapter 15. It's my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. I think it's perhaps the most important. Um, because in this chapter, Jesus shows us the heart of the Father. He really is answering the question, what is the heart of God like? What is the heart of God like? I, I have a, a thing I like to say every once in a while, and that's simply this. When you cannot see the movement of his hand, you can trust the love in his heart. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Okay, let's go there. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him to hear him. But the teacher, Pharisees and teachers of the law murmured, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. <laughs> Whoa, what do you call that? Well, I, I think we call that a judgment, okay? Let me ask you a question, okay? How alive and well is judgment in your heart? <laughs> How alive and well is judgment in your heart? I find that in life I have to beat, <laughs> I have to beat judgment back all the time. Yeah, I, I got to choose not to let it have any part of my life, not to be critical. Amen. Slap that tongue. <laughs> no, not going there. Not going there. Because I see, I want to live. By the law, the higher law that gives freedom. Yeah, amen. Uh, I, I want to receive mercy, so I'm going to do everything I can to show mercy. Yeah, it's called the rule, you know, it's called the law of the outflow. Whatever flows out of you, you know, the Lord will whew, place into you. You want mercy to grow? Show mercy. Show mercy. Tax collectors and sinners. And so at that, verse 3 then says this, Jesus told them this parable. Now the word parable in Greek is parabole. You can hear the, in the English you can hear the Greek word. You know, par parable, parabole. It comes from two Greek words, para, which means alongside, and bole, which means to cast or throw. A parable is a story that everyone could understand, a story that was common to the culture of all the listeners, but cast alongside of it is this profound spiritual insight and truth that now you can understand in deeper ways through the story. Verse uh, 4, the parable. Suppose... One of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. And does he not leave 
the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, goes home, and he again calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Now, what we have to understand is that all the folks listening to this story, to Jesus tell the parable, all of them had grown up in small farm villages in Israel. The single most important commodity of those farm villages were flocks of sheep and goats. The most valuable commodity, flocks of sheep and goats. Uh, most of, most, you know, they're so valuable, actually they, only the very bravest and best of the young men could become shepherds because they were protecting the sheep the valuable possession. Every family owned a couple of sheep or goats and the flocks were put together in large flocks and so they often numbered in the hundreds. You know, it says a sheep wanders away and it, you know, it's kind of like big deal to us. I mean, so what? It's a little bit of a, uh, you know, I don't like the smell of sheep anyway, but uh, I grew up on the farm. Uh, but it's a big deal to them. A lost, a sheep is lost. And what would happen is there would be several, several shepherds watching hundreds of sheep. And so uh, the head shepherd would take responsibility once they realized the sheep was gone. He'd take responsibility and he'd go on a search for the lost sheep. Now simultaneously to him going as he left the sheep with other shepherds, they would also report back to the village. A sheep is lost. And so the whole village would discover that, okay, a, a sheep, the shepherd's out looking for a lost sheep. You know, they would all enter into prayer about that, and, uh, um, and, and the word would go out, has, has, a shepherd, has, has a lost sheep been found? Has the shepherd returned? And no, not yet, not yet. And at night, they would they'd build a big campfire, and the whole village, all the families would gather around you know, to, to support each other and to pray. The lost sheep would be found. You know, the children would go to sleep in their parents' arms by the fire, and you know, then about the time the dawn was breaking, someone looked and, and they saw someone coming. Someone's coming! And everybody was suddenly awake and they were all looking, straining their eyes. Is that the shepherd? Is that the shepherd? Yes, it's the shepherd. He's got the sheep over his shoulder and he's coming. And all the children would leap up and they'd run out to meet the shepherd and, and they would escort him into the village. When he entered the village, the whole village would yell and scream and the children would dance and they would celebrate because the lost sheep had been found. And then Jesus says this. He brings it home. I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Do you realize that the day that you believed in Jesus and gave your heart to him, that all of heaven <laughs> broke loose with celebration? Jesus says, let me help you understand the heart of God. He tells another parable, verse 8. Or suppose a woman had ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. 
William Barclay in his commentary on Luke tells us, he says 10 silver coins, and he says that's a special designation, it's a special indication. He said in first century, every young Jewish girl, but she, she would start to select silver coins, that's a drachma. Uh, drachma, it's, I, you know, it's a, it, what it is was a silver coin, it was worth a day's wage for a man's labor. You know, it's not invaluable. It, you know, there's some preciousness about it. But what every Jewish girl would do as a young age when she became aware, she would start to collect silver coins. It often take her, t you know, several years to have full 10. But once she got full 10 silver coins, she would take them and she would link them together and they would form a small crown. And on her wedding day, her husband would take that crown of coins and place it on her head, and it would be a symbol of her wedding vows. You know, much like an engagement and wedding ring is today for us. You know, uh, when one of those coins is lost, it's a big deal. And so what she has to do now, you know, I mean, I remember when I was a little boy, I, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I heard this sermon and I went home and I thought, well, you know, what's the deal? And I found a nickel that was a silver coin to me. And I closed my eyes and I threw the nickel over my shoulder. My bedroom had a wooden floor to it. I heard it hit the floor and I looked for it and it wasn't very hard to find. And I said, well, what's the problem here? <laughs> Why did the woman have such a problem? But you've got to remember, first century houses had dirt floors. And to help with the warmth, especially in the wintertime, they would cover the dirt with straw. And now you've got a dust floor covered with straw, and you've lost a coin. Well, there weren't windows in house. They had slots for ventilation, but there weren't windows that brought in much light. And so she has to light a lamp, you know, and she sweeps the house. And what she does is she's sweeping the house and she sweeps all the dust and, and straw into a pile. But there's not enough light to search for it, so she has to take that pile and she takes it outside and then she starts to go through it. Looking for her lost coin. And her neighbors come by, hey Sarah, what did you lose? Oh, I lost one of my coins from my wedding crown. Oh no. I sure hope you find it. And Sarah, she won't give up. She just keeps doing it and doing it. And then she, you know, goes like this, and she sees a kind of a light flash at her. The sun hits something in the, and she, is that it? And she reaches in, and she pulls out the lost coin. And she leaps to her feet and starts to dance and all around it. And people see her, and neighbors come, and they dance with her, and they're celebrating. Because the lost coin has been found. Now understand, everybody listening had had this experience as a child growing up. They'd seen this drama unfold. Um, Jesus now, of course, brings it home. Verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Can you hear it? It happened when you came to the Lord. It happens all the time. And heaven breaks, breaks loose with celebration. <sighs> Chapter 15, verse 11. 
Jesus says a third parable. Verse 11, there was a man, verse 11 and 12, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Now, we hear that he divided the property between, well, there's several things. <laughs> you know, it's the younger son who does this, and the son, younger son comes to his father, and he's got a bold ask. I mean, it's a bold thing to ask for. Even in our culture, it'd be bold to ask for. You know, it's like he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. Ooh. Uh, wow. Now, the father, it says, he divided the property between the two of them, between both sons, the older son and the younger son. But... He did not split it equally between the two boys because the law of the firstborn and the double portion. The, the firstborn child got what was called the double portion. That meant if, if a father had four children, they would divide the estate into five parts, and the oldest would get two parts, and the rest would each get one part. In our case, in the story we're looking at, you know, the father took the estate, divided it into three parts, and the older son got two portions, and the younger son got one portion, double portion to the firstborn. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he went off to a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so you know, he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him out to the field to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. A couple of things here are kind of really important for us to understand. Now, you know, the, the older son just stayed at home. But that was the normal protocol. Children did not leave home. You know, if they made money or had a lot of money, they would just stay with dad and mom. It didn't matter. They stayed in the home. That was how it was. Um, Jamie's mom and I, when, when, before uh, he was born, we, uh, we went to, uh, we did a country, we did a vacation. We went to uh, Egypt and Greece and Israel, and uh, anyway, what, what had happened was her, her, uh, her dad um, had had a heart attack, and he was in a, while they were on vacation in Duluth, he had a heart attack, and he was in a Duluth hospital, and he was sharing that room with a Greek sea captain who had had a heart attack while his ship was in harbor, and, and so... He, they were sharing a room, and so we met this Greek sea captain, and you know he's, you know, and he just, and then he heard that we were planning to go to, you know, to Greece, and so he, he said, "Hey, you've got to come and see me. You got to come and see my family." And and uh, lo and behold, it worked out so that when we went to Greece, we went to his family. We knocked on the door, and they just, "Oh, welcome to us!" And whoa, and uh, you know that night they, they went. We said, "You've got to stay not overnight with us." And that night, it, what they did was they had the master suit for he and his wife, and that's where they insisted that we stay. Uh, that's hospitality, Eastern hospitality, you know. 
But the other thing about his house, he had four children, and he had uh, three of his children, three of his sons had gotten married, and he had built a floor, another floor above their house. He had built a floor up, and that's where his first son, and then the second floor, and then third floor, his, his house had four floors to it. The, they had the bottom floor, the three children had each of the other floors. His children would not leave home. They didn't leave home. That's not done in Eastern culture generally. And they were planning and beginning to build a fourth floor for the daughter who was about to get married. You don't leave home. The son leaving home is a, really a radical shift. Now, in our culture, that's just what happens. <laughs> hey, kid, don't let the door hit you on the way out. You know, it's a, you know but, but that's not how you do it in Eastern culture. You know, and so for the son to leave home and then to go to a foreign country, he, you know, he's in Gentile land. There are no pigs in Israel. <laughs> you know, he goes out to feed pigs. He, it's the only thing, job he can find is go out and feed the pigs. You see, under Jewish law, there's no pigs in Israel because a pig was an unclean animal. By Mosaic law, it was declared unclean. You weren't to have anything to do with it. You certainly couldn't eat it. And you weren't even supposed to, you weren't supposed to touch him even. And now you have this Jewish boy, you know, having to go out and feed the pigs. I like to say it, how low can you go? <laughs> you know, I mean, he's on rock bottom. He really is. I, uh, as a pastor, have had the privilege to know uh, a lot of people who have gone through recovery, especially with Alcoholics Anonymous, but other recovery, recovery programs as well. There's a... Um, for, you know, there's some of the staff from Teen Challenge come to, to the house church, and well, we're delighted to have you here, and we celebrate the work that you're doing. Um, my, my friends, my alcoholic recovering friends, they, they always say is, is that when, you know, when someone's not willing to go into recovery, they say, well, you're not on rock bottom yet. You haven't hit the bottom. When they hit the bottom, they'll, they'll, you know, they say, you, you know, it does a little, almost no good to, to try to get them to go before they're on the bottom if they're, because they won't. They have some kind of answer. They're going to work out their own problem. But when you hit bottom and you can't work on, there's no solution, then, you know, then you're ready for recovery. Over the years, you know, just I have been able to be part of the lives of, of, uh, of hundreds of people who have recovered from an addiction. And, uh, it, wow, I mean, it's a miracle every time. A miracle every time, and people say, my, my life has totally been transformed. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Um, you know, we, we do this. It's, uh, anyway, oh, I'm sorry, I get distracted here. Uh, it says, when he came to his, verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. He comes to himself, the Greek says, actually the language, he came to himself, and he really realized that he did not have an answer to his dilemma. He had hit rock bottom. So he got up and he, and he went to his father. Verse 20. Oh, no, let me say this first. Maybe you've found this in your own life. You sin. And, and you sin because you can choose to sin. But you sin and you sin and you sin. And now you discover you can't choose not to sin because you're trapped. 
At first you sin because you have a choice and then sin gets you and now you don't have a choice. That's what addiction does to you. That's what addiction does. And you come to God and say, oh God, I'm so sorry. Uh, I no longer feel worthy to be called your son or daughter. God, I eat. it's okay, just make me one of your servants. And God looks at you and he said, I can't do that. Because I already made you a son. <laughs> I've already made you a daughter. Mercy. Can you feel it? There's a bumper sticker. I, I probably have referred to this before, but a bumper sticker that, you know, it says, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I, I, I understand the sentiment of it, but it's not true. The statement's not true. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You were a sinner, and you have been saved by grace, and now you're a saint. That's your condition. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, but I, I still sin. Yeah. Yeah, you used to be a professional. <laughs> so the son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off... The father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You know, unbeknown to the son, every day since he left, left the father has gone out. And he's gone up to the roof of his house. They, most, most houses in Israel in the first century, they had gardens on top. Great place to raise vegetables. And they had gardens on top. And so the father would go up to the garden every day and he'd look longingly down the road. And his heart was just hoping that he would see the boy returning. Just hoping. And then one day he goes up to the garden and he looks down the road and he sees a figure coming and the figure's coming toward him. And could that be my son? Is, is that possible him? He gets a little bit closer and he, he, he recognizes the gate and the walk and, and the father, it's him, it's him. And he runs down the stairs and he bursts through the door and he runs down to his son and when he gets there, he throws his arms around him and kisses him and welcomes him. Remember the thesis of Jesus telling the parables. I want you to see the heart of God. I want you to see the heart of God. The son tries to, when he sees the father, he says, verse 21, and the father said, oh, uh, verse, yeah, 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, the father doesn't let him finish the speech. He just says, verse 22 now, and the father said to the servants, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now, each of the four things named here have a significant factor to it and and uh, they're worth, worth noting. Um, put a robe on his shoulders. Put a robe on him. And, and it's a toga varilla. Put the robe of honored sonship on my son. Put sandals on his feet. Servants were, went barefooted. Son, the children got sandals. 
put a ring on his finger, that's a signet ring. Uh, that's how, in the ancient world, that's how you marked out property. You used a signet. Every family had their own signet. It was a special design cut into stone, and then it was pressed into a, usually pressed into a, a, a little spot of clay and created what's called a boule. Uh, the signet and the boule, it would be, you know, the, it would impress and it would harden, and that, that would mark out ownership. It's, it's like the father saying, hey, son, here's the checkbook. Help yourself. <laughs> Kill the fatted calf. If you check carefully, you discover that almost always when the Jews held a feast, you know, a lamb was, you know, served. A lamb was served. Only one time in the book of Genesis is a fatted calf killed and prepared for a feast. And that is when God visited Abraham. And he prepared a feast, a fatted calf. I hope you're getting this. I hope you're getting this. What is the heart of God like? One more thing here, just in terms of the parable or the the, uh, um, chapter. You know, if you look at each of the people, each of the parables, each of the stories, it's about something that that got lost. You know, each thing lost is, you know, is lost for a different reason. The sheep is lost because the sheep is dumb. And some people, quite frankly, are lost because they live naively. They just aren't that much in tune. They're like dumb sheep and they get lost. Some people are like the lost coin. They are lost, you know, the, the coin got lost because of the woman's carelessness. She didn't notice or she didn't, you know, mend the, the, the connection. You know, and that's what happens. Some people are lost because of what others do. Other people's choices, other people's behaviors, and sometimes other people's abuse. And, of course, the son, he's lost for the simple reason of his rebellion, his own choices. But Jesus is clearly saying, I don't care very much about how you got lost or why you got lost. What I care about is that you be found. That you be found. My great mercy. My great mercy. But understand. Okay, understand. We're working with a principle here that's real key. Yeah. If you don't receive mercy, all that's left is judgment. Okay? You actively take hold of this thing and put your arms around it and embrace it with your heart and your whole life that you might be not only a people who receive mercy, but also grant it. I, I, I have one story from my own life here, and it's uh, uh, kind of a, it was very instrumental in some, some of the formation of my early thinking. And, and uh, anyway, Pastor Jamie has a, a young sister, a younger sister. Her name is Charity Grace. Uh, some of you met Charity Grace. She was here a month of De- November and December last year. And uh, she was visiting here with her three children. They were able to stay for a period of time because her husband, who's in the Air Force, was on deployment to the Middle East. They live, Charity and her family, they live in Alaska. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm glad and sad because I've been able to go to Alaska eight different times. So that's, <laughs> that's a plus of it. The, you know, the downside, we don't get to see them nearly as often as we'd like to. 
But when Charity was three and a half years old, uh, we went on a family vacation to Fort Myers Beach, Florida. Uh, that's where uh, Debbie, uh, my wife, uh, that's where her parents lived and the grandparents of our, of our children. And, um, you know, at the time, Charity had this doll, doll, not doll, doll, this, you know, it was a raggedy ant. And it was her most prized possession, you know, as well as her constant companion. She carried that doll everywhere. You know, it was on her pillow when she went to sleep at night. Uh, it was always with her. And, uh, and, and she loved that doll. She, she just, you know, often would be seen with her arms around the doll. It just, it was, it was loved. Well, we're on our way down to Fort Myers Beach. Oh, no, by the way, just every once in a while, every month or so, Charity would have to go through separation anxiety because Debbie would take the doll, put it in the washing machine, and dry her. <laughs> and whenever it came out, Charity would wrap her arms around it and just hold it tightly. We're, we're, we, we stopped at a hotel on our way down and, and overnight, and, uh, and uh, in the morning, we got up, uh, Debbie and I got up early, and we packed the bags and got, you know, and we carried the kids to the car in their pajamas so they'd keep sleeping, and we got everything on, and we were early start, and we're about 150 miles from the hotel, motel, and, uh, and Charity wakes up, and she looks around, and she's, Mommy, where is my raggedy aunt? Well, Deb just says, well, we must have packed it in suit, her in a suitcase. So, uh, and Charity was beside herself, and she just kept beginning to cry, I want my raggedy in. I want my raggedy in. And so I pulled over into a rest stop. We got out, we searched through the suitcases, and no raggedy in. And then I tried to console her comfort cheer. Oh, hey, honey, we will buy you a brand new one. No, no, Daddy, I want my raggedy end. And she would not be consoled. And so we packed the suitcases up, put them back in the car, drove 150 miles back to the hotel. It's now about 10 o'clock in the morning, and we ran into our, where our hotel room was, and the maid service had already cleaned our room, and we didn't know what to do. And I raced through the hallway. We went racing through the hallway, and there we found the maid's card, and the maids are working on another room. And I went up to it, and in the trash bag, I looked down, and there was Raggedy Ann. I reached up, grabbed Raggedy Ann, gave her to charity. She looked, took her, looked at, looked at up and down, and then she brought her close and smelled. And she wrapped her arms around Raggedy Ann, and a tear formed in her eye and rolled down her cheek. And at that moment, I learned one of the most important lessons of life. You see, some things are loved because they're valuable. And we do that. We, you know, usually love a new car for a little while. <laughs> oh, so some of you love your house. There's nothing wrong with that. It's... You know. But you see, some things are valuable because they're loved. Do you understand God's mercy? Do you understand how much he loves you? How much he loves you? Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says... 
He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with this freely give us all things? The ramifications of that verse are so profound, I, 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 will, not, I, 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 not, I will not be able to plummet, plummet all, all of the factors that are expressed. To realize that my creator, God Almighty, made a decision to give the most precious possession that he had, which would be the life of his son, as a gift for me, as a gift for you. I don't know how to wrap my mind or my heart around fully around that truth. How much does he love you? How valuable, how valuable is his mercy? How profound. How utterly, utterly profound. I want to show you a verse of scripture. It's meant a lot in my life. It's some, there's been a lot of healing that, in my life that's come through this verse. And, and I, that's where I kind of like to go with the rest of the time today. And, and the verse is Psalms chapter 68, verse, or, or, yeah, Psalm 68, verse 5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is the Lord in his holy dwelling. A father to the fatherless. What is being said, what we're being told, is that, you know, we know, none of us grew up in perfect homes. There is no such thing. None of us did. But what it says is that God can and will fulfill, fill up whatever parenting is lacking in your life or in my life. And and the healing that's gone on in my own life is deep and profound and and uh, that'll be true of many lives that are sitting here right now. Many lives that are sitting here right now. And, and I believe that the Lord wants to, I kind of, there was a, put it on my heart, I, I woke up this morning a little early and started to write fee, feverishly because I, the Lord had put it on my heart to do this exercise with you. And so I'm, I'm you know, that's what I'm going to do. A father to the father, the Lord will fill up Whatever is lacking, whatever is lacking in your heart, whatever is lacking in your life. Now, to set up this exercise, there's, there's a, there's a uh, well, it's been proven, I think, time and time again. It comes from, a principle comes from behavioral science. And that, beha- that, that principle is simply this. Inside of all of us, there's a little child that remains alive all of our lives. The little inner child. We all have it. Inside of Dave, there's a little Dave. <laughs> Inside of there's a little Noreen. We all, we all have that little inner child. You know, they're very, that little child is very emotional, but they're there. They're alive our whole lives, okay? Uh, there's a little you inside of you. And, um, you know, the other thing is that just simply stated, you know, against the principle, you know, every emotional have a stay in court. Whatever you hydroplane over, or whatever you choose not to experience, you know, at the time, or maybe you couldn't experience it. It will come back. It will come back and will come in other ways. 
And, and this morning, I'd like to take a little time. I think it's worth a wor- worthwhile exercise. And, and so I'm going to ask you to, to bear with me as we go through this because uh, it involves you. It's a, it's, it basically, it's a, um, a guided prayer experience. And I invite you to come on this journey. So if you'd, you know, cover your heart, hand, hand, your heart with your hands. I like to use both mine, but use one if that's more comfortable. Lord Jesus, I'm just, we're just coming to before you right now, and we're just asking. We're asking that you will meet each of us at our need. That we know that you want to, your desire is that you'll fill up the parenting of whatever is lacking in our lives. And, and so, Father, we come before your throne of mercy right now to receive mercy, to receive grace, to receive from you that which we didn't experience. Maybe when we needed to, but we didn't get a chance to experience it or we didn't. So here's what I, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to, you know, you see yourself. You're an adult, and, and I want you to, you know, it's like there's a house you grew up in, and, and, the, and the house had a, a front step to it or a front porch, and, and what I want you to do is see yourself sitting out on that front porch, on that front porch, or, or on the front step, and you're just sitting there, and, and suddenly you realize there's a child sitting on your lap, and that child is a little you when you were five years old or so. You've seen pictures of yourself, so there you are. You know, you're sitting there. You're sitting there, and, and the adult you now looks at the little child, and as you're looking at the little you, you, you look and you see a tear forming in the corner of the eye and, and then rolling down the cheek, and you, you see another tear. And I want you to carefully ask the little you, the little boy, the little girl, I want you to carefully ask, what's the pain all about? What's the pain all about? Was it about a a father who was too harsh? Always demanding. Was it about a father who had too many expectations of you? Is it... Maybe it's about a father who wasn't there. What's the pain all about? Maybe a mother, a, you know, a mother who somehow just couldn't love the way you needed to be loved. You, you always were longing. Your, your heart longs to experience that love. Ask the child, what's the pain all about? Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Now I want you to say to that little child, little boy, little girl, I want you, you know, use your, use your own name. Speak to the child with your own, it's your name, it's, it's the child's name. And I want you to say, I'm not going to lock you up anymore. Whatever you feel, I want to feel. If you're crying tears, I want to have permission to cry them. I, I want, when you're filled with joy, I want to feel that joy too. 
let you be alive. The way you've tried to be, I want you to let you be alive. And you put your arms around the little boy, the little girl, your name. And I want you to say the words, I forgive you. I forgive you when I, right, when you wait, when you wanted to cry and I didn't let you cry and forgive me for when I locked you up and I, I wouldn't let you express, forgive me. Wrap your arms around that little child and just and just say the name. Say your name. I love you. I love you. I love you. And, and just let the let the little child sit by your left side and your right side. There's still room in the space beside you. And and so you look up and as you look up, you see someone coming down the sidewalk and. And they come down the sidewalk and they, they come up now toward your house and you look and when you see them, you realize this is your dad. And your dad's standing before you and, and you look up at him and, and you just use the words, Dad, I forgive you. And maybe there's specific things connected to it or it just needs to be, Dad, I, I, I forgive you. I forgive you, Dad. Dad, I love you. And Dad walks away, and you see someone else coming, and they get closer, and you realize this is Mom. And, and Mom comes up, and you just say, Mom, I forgive you. Mom, I, I forgive you for whatever, whatever those things were. You, know, you can attach a word to it if you wish. Mom, I forgive you. Jesus has forgiven me, and I forgive you in his power. I forgive you. Mom, I love you. Mom, I love you. And mom gets up and goes away and and someone else is coming down the, the sidewalk and they're coming and they turn towards you and, and you now recognize this person. You know, it's someone from your past. It might be a sibling, a brother or sister. It might be an uncle or aunt, grandfather, grandpa, grandma. You know, it might be a teacher, somebody from your past who did harm and did hurt. And, and they come up to you and you look at them and, and you look at their eyes and you just say, and say their name and you say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Because Jesus has so fully forgiven me, I now forgive you. I now forgive you. Is there someone else? Is there someone else who's walking up and you recognize and you just need to say the words, I forgive you. I fully forgive you. We're, we're out of time, so is, you know, just if you would just pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, I receive fully your mercy for me. 
And Jesus, just as freely and fully, I take that mercy and I give it to all around me. I give it to everyone in my sphere that I might live in the flow of mercy. That I might be known as a merciful person. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll close in just a second. There will be, as, as, I, as I, after I close, there'll be prayer ministers up front. And this morning, if the Lord is touching you or working your life or you, you want to process some more uh, with someone or just talk about it more, they'll be here and they're here to minister and they're trained for that purpose. And so, you know, they'll be here. And, uh, and then whenever I speak, I, I always, I'm, uh, it's, it's part of my roots, I guess, but uh, I, I like to pronounce the blessing that Jamie always praise over us uh, but you know it's for me it, it's kind of this well he's just more creative than I am so <laughs> I'm stuck with the old words but uh, but I believe I, I believe the word says that you will receive something when I, when I as we do this and and so I have no problem believing that you're about to receive something so here's the rules stand to your feet <laughs> look up and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, his peace. Today and all week long, I declare it over you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or share it with friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, we would love to connect you with our community. Please visit us at ithehouse.org for more information. We'll see you next week.